This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by the Messy Spirituality Podcast. Hey, this is Jason Elam. Join Lola Robbins, Kyle Butler, and me for the Messy Spirituality Podcast, where we try to empower your spiritual evolution with honest conversation about how to be a better human, taking a critical look at toxic Bible stories, and look behind the headlines for growth opportunities underlying current events. Hey, it's a bisexual hairstylist who escaped a cult, a black mystic, and a recovering Southern Baptist preacher. What could possibly go wrong? Check out the Messy Spirituality Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi there. My name is Karen Schock. And if you love Jesus and you love coffee, you're going to love Second Cup with Keith. It's good to the last drop. Hello, and welcome back to Second Cup with Keith. I'm your host, Keith Giles. I'm the author of the best-selling seven-part Jesus Unbook series looking at deconstruction and reconstruction of your faith. And I'm also the founder of the Square One course and online community for people who are deconstructing their faith, moving towards reconstruction, but don't want to go through it alone. Our next section of Square One begins Valentine's Day, February 14th, 2022. And if you would like to join us, you can find information about that at my blog, keithgiles.com, which is my blog on Pathios. You'll find links there. We have about 20 seats available and they're filling up quick. So if you're interested in something like that, I'd love to see you over there. For this episode of Second Cup with Keith, I wanted to follow up a little bit what we were talking about in our previous episode. I made several references in the previous episode talking about penal substitutionary atonement theory, for example. In talking about that, some things came up about, well, the Old Testament says this, and the Old Covenant says that, and the shedding of blood, and blah, blah, blah. We talked about how the book of Hebrews is really wanting to contrast the Old Covenant, which is not so great, and the New Covenant, which is much, much, much better. And a lot of Christians seem to be confused by that. We don't really get that, and I understand. I think most Christians don't get that because what's reinforced typically from the pulpit is more of the opposite idea. We are really kind of given basically the idea that what Christianity is is Judaism with a cross on top, and it's not at all that. And so that's why I thought it was really important for me to really do an entire episode of Second Cup with Keith looking at specifically the differences between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Now, this is slightly different than our very first episode, if you can remember. If you or you haven't heard it, go listen to it. But our very first episode of Second Cup with Keith, we looked at the differences between the flat Bible approach and the Jesus-centric approach. Now, this is similar. We're going to cover similar ground, but I mean, this is much more targeted because the first episode we were talking about the way we look at Scripture, the way we sort of evaluate a hierarchy of what Scriptures sort of take precedence over other Scriptures, because we do acknowledge that not all scriptures agree that the Bible itself is sort of a collection of opinions and not all like sort of one univocal message or, or statement or a set of beliefs, that there is a, a progression of beliefs and even a debate between this prophet and this writer and this author over here. And so that's what we talked about in the first episode. I'm not going to cover that ground again. If you're curious about that, or if you don't remember it, go back and listen to that first episode again. But first, let's look at specifically in this episode, sort of the differences between the way we should approach the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. So the first thing I want to say, and this might sound shocking, but bear with me, I need to say this. The Old Covenant is obsolete. A lot of times when I say that to people, they get really offended. They call me a heretic or a false teacher, or how could I, how, dare I say such a thing? But then I have to point out that what I just said 
is quoting from Hebrews 8.13. So it's not me. You don't get upset at me. I'm not saying it. The author of Hebrews is saying it. And in Hebrews 8.13, we read, it says this, by calling this covenant new, he has made the first one, that's the old covenant, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and aging will very soon disappear. So now, again, if you're someone who's very confused about thinking, well, no, the old covenant, we still have to follow the old covenant, the Ten Commandments and all that is still very important for Christians, and we kind of need both. We need the old covenant and the new covenant then that statement might really kind of confuse you and kind of set you back a little bit. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What? How can Keith and Hebrews 8.13 say that the Old Covenant is obsolete and disappearing? And the reason why is partially because didn't Jesus tell us that the Old Covenant would never, ever fade away? In fact, didn't Jesus begin his ministry by proclaiming that he didn't come to abolish the law or the prophets, right? So what's going on? Well, that's a great place to start. Let's actually turn in Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 17. Let's just read exactly what Jesus says, because that's going to help us understand exactly what's going on, probably better than anything else. Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 17, and it says this, Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Now, most of the time when Christians read that set of verses right there, Matthew five seventeen through 18, what they hear is not what Jesus says. What we hear is typically what we've been told to hear. We have been programmed from our Sunday school teachers all the way through the pulpit and Bible teachers on television and radio. They have quoted this verse to us, and they have told us what it meant. And what we hear is what they've told us to hear. What we hear Jesus saying there is something like this. I did not come to abolish the law or the prophets, and until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will ever by any means disappear from the law. And that's what they hear. That's not what I just read, but that's what they hear. I left some things out. But that's what we hear. We hear Jesus affirming in the strongest possible words, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, and until heaven and earth disappear, not a single bit of it will ever disappear from the law, period. But of course, that's not where the period goes in in those sentences. So I'm going to read them again, and, and hopefully once I show you what you're missing, you'll be able to see it. Like it's one of these things where it's a blind spot, and it's right there, but until someone points it out to you, you might not be able to see it. I'm going to go through it again slowly. I'm going to read it all again, exactly the way I read it before, but I'm going to stop and point out some things first as I go along. So try to follow me. So let's read the first sentence. Matthew 5, verses 17 and 18 are basically just two sentences. So we're going to read the first sentence. We're going to talk about it. Then we're going to read the second sentence. And we're going to talk about it. Then we're going to pull the whole thing together. Here we go. The first sentence. Here's exactly what Jesus says. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So let's stop right there. That's the first sentence. What is Jesus saying? Well, he's affirming that his purpose for coming was not to abolish the law and the prophets. That's not why he came. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law and prophets. I have not come to abolish them. That's what he says. But then he tells us in the same sentence, he tells us what he did come to do. He came to do what? Not to abolish them, but to do what? But to fulfill them. Ah, okay. Keep that in mind. What Jesus is saying is, I haven't come to abolish them, the law and the prophets. I've come to fulfill them. That's what he says in the first sentence. Keep that in mind. 
And now we're going to read the second sentence. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. If you notice right there, I stressed that second part, that last part, because that's typically the part that most of us miss. And again, it's not our fault. I think most of us are trained to to miss it. We've been told so many times what it means, then we are unable to read it for what it really says. Here's the key. In that second verse, there is not one qualifier, there's two. And most of us only see one of them. We only notice the qualifier, the until statement, until heaven and earth disappear. And the only one we see is that. This is why when I tell people that the Old Covenant is obsolete, they will quote this verse to me and then they'll say, Keith, look out the window. Have heaven and earth disappeared? Well, then I guess the law hasn't disappeared either. You're wrong. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Not at all. He gives one qualifier, but then he gives us a second one. So pay attention to what he says. I'm going to read it again. I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. The ending of that sentence reflects back the the previous sentence. Okay, let's go back to the first sentence. In the first sentence, what did Jesus say? Do not think I have become to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. The first sentence says, Jesus says, I have come to fulfill the law and the prophets. And in the second sentence, Jesus says, and the law and the prophets will not disappear until everything is accomplished. In other words, until I finish what I've come to do. Do you see it? I hope you see it, because once I saw it, I could not unsee it. Oh my gosh, there are two until statements there. There's not one, there's two. Jesus starts off by saying, this is why I have come, not to abolish, but to fulfill the law and the prophets. And I tell you the truth, nothing will pass away from the law until I do, until everything is accomplished. And so once we see it, once we get it, once we really understand what Jesus is actually saying in those sentences, he's not saying, hey, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, and in fact, until heaven and earth disappear, they're never going to be abolished. They're never going to pass away. That's not what he says. What he says is, I came to fulfill the law and the prophets, and until I do, they won't disappear. But once I do fulfill them, then they will. So once we see that there are two qualifiers, not one, but two until statements there, and we understand everything he's saying. First sentence, here's why I came, to fulfill the law and the prophets. Second sentence, and until I do accomplish them, they won't disappear. So what we need to ask ourselves is, well, did Jesus fulfill the law and the prophets? He said that's why he came. And he says that they won't disappear until he does, until everything is accomplished. So was everything accomplished? Well, the answer is yes. Of course, we know, first of all, John 19, verse 30, when it says when he had received the drink, Jesus said from the cross, it is finished. And by the way, the Greek word Jesus uses there for finished is literally the same word for accomplished. So Jesus actually does proclaim from the cross, it is accomplished. So put it all together. Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill them. And until I do fulfill them, they won't disappear. So, did he fulfill them? Yes, he did. It is finished. It is accomplished. In fact, not only that, he also said in John 17, 4, 
He's praying to the Father. This is even before the he goes to the cross. And he's praying to the Father and he says, Father, I have glorified you on earth by accomplishing the work you gave me to do. What was the work that the Father gave him to do? Well, he told us in, in that verse we just read, right? This is why I've come to fulfill the law and the prophets. And once he fulfills it, now they will fade away. And that's why the author of Hebrews can say that now Jesus has established a new covenant and that new covenant surpasses the other one and that makes the old one obsolete. So this is the reason why, by the way, the Apostle Paul told us in Ephesians 2.15 that Jesus actually did abolish the law in a sense. Now again, He says that he didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. But what Paul says in Ephesians 2.15, I'm going to read this in a second. But if you follow what Paul is saying in Ephesians 2.15, what he says is that Christ did abolish in his flesh the things within the law that brought death and division and separation. Let's just read it. Ephesians 2.15, Paul says this, For Christ himself is our peace, who made both groups, this is Jews and Gentiles, who made both groups into one, and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances. What are the laws of commandments contained in ordinances? The law of commandments, of course, is the Ten Commandments. It's the law. It's all the law. And so, again, Paul says, Ephesians 2.15, Christ himself was our peace. He made both groups into one, Jews and Gentiles. He broke down this barrier, this dividing wall, this division. By abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. Elsewhere, Paul also affirms, Romans 10.14, Christ is the end of the law. That means the law has come to an end, because Christ has fulfilled it and brought an end to it. Now, Paul says in not one, but two other places— He goes into a very detailed and lengthy contrast comparison between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Not once, but twice. I'm going to start with the passage in 2 Corinthians. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. So it's a little bit long, but I'm just going to read it right through, and I think you're going to see it. Follow along. Here we go. Paul says, 2 Corinthians 3, starting at verse 7. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, hmm, what could that be? If the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of his glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? Continuing, if the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Wow. Looking at those verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11, let's just break it down. What did Paul say? What does he want us to understand about the Old Covenant? He says this about the Old Covenant in that passage. It brought death. Its glory was fading. It brought condemnation. It was glorious, past tense. It now has no glory, and it's fading away. And in the same passage, speaking of the New Covenant, Paul says this, The New Covenant is more glorious than the Old Covenant. It brings righteousness. It has a glory that surpasses the Old Covenant, and it's everlasting. It doesn't fade away. Paul also says something very similar 
does a very similar compare contrast between the Old and the New Covenants in Galatians. Galatians chapter 4. Now, this is broken into two little sections. So we're first going to read Galatians chapter 4, verses 24 through 26. And notice Paul is using a bit of a metaphor here. So he starts off, he's comparing the two covenants, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, and he does so by using Abraham's two wives. So Abraham had two wives. Sarah was his first wife, and Hagar was his second wife. So keep that in mind. And now here we go. He says this, the women, Hagar and Sarah, represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free and she is our mother. Now, let's jump a few verses to Galatians 4 verse 30 and keep reading. Paul says, but what does scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Now, let's do the same thing. Let's go back through it again and see, pick out what does Paul tell us in these passages about the Old Covenant? Well, this is what he says. The Old Covenant is from Mount Sinai. Why Mount Sinai? Isn't that where the Ten Commandments were given to Moses? Yes. So the Old Covenant is from Mount Sinai. The Old Covenant bears children who are slaves. It corresponds to the earthly man-made Jerusalem. It is in slavery, along with her children. It should be cast out of our presence, and it will not share in the inheritance of Christ, and the Old Covenant is not our mother. In contrast, in the same passages, Paul says this about the New Covenant. The new covenant bears children who are free. The new covenant is of the heavenly new Jerusalem that comes from God, not the physical city. The new covenant is our true mother, and the new covenant shares in the inheritance of Christ. I don't think it could be more clear than that. But to drive the point home even further, Paul tells us many times, Romans 6.14, Galatians 5.18, we are not under the law. Romans 7.4, we are dead to the law. Romans 7.6, we are delivered from the law. We are saved from the law. Therefore, those who are in Christ are not under the Ten Commandments, but under what Paul says is the law of Christ. Again, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, he says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. So I hope this is good news. What it's telling us is, the Old Covenant, as Paul says elsewhere, brought sin and death. But it was only through Christ that grace and truth came. And now we are under a new covenant. And under this new covenant, we're not keeping laws anymore. We're not about splitting hairs of trying to become lawyers. This is what the Pharisees were all about, right? Trying to become lawyers saying, well, don't do this and don't do that and keep this law and don't break that law. And, you know, here's a little loophole to the law. Basically, let's figure out where the line is and so I can figure out if I know where the line is, I can know how close I can get to the line without crossing over. Then we become people who are just managing our sin and trying to keep some arbitrary laws because this is useless, because none of this is ever what God wanted. What God has always wanted is what's spoken of in the New Covenant. This idea that I will be your God and you will be my people and no one will say to his neighbor, know the Lord, because they'll all know me, everyone. 
every individual human being directly has free access to know the creator of the universe. That's good news. That's wonderful. And so look, it doesn't mean when I say then, therefore, you know, okay, I made this point that we're not under the old covenant and the old covenant's obsolete and these things written on stone, these ordinances, these commandments written on stone are fading away and useless and all that. It doesn't mean, because people say this all the time to me when I have this conversation with them, oh, therefore I can just commit adultery. I can just kill. I can steal, right? Because the Ten Commandments don't mean anything, so I don't have to keep them anymore. Well, no, sorry, that's not what it means. It doesn't mean we don't have anything. Again, what Paul says is we have is the law of Christ. What is that? The law of love. Jesus summarized it all in this. He says, you know what? If you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, if you love your neighbor as yourself, you have kept the law and the prophets. And so it's simply about not keeping laws, but loving. Our focus is on, it's not on what we don't do. Don't do this, don't do that. It's what we do. And what we do is we become people who abide in Christ so that Christ abides in us. And when that happens, we become people who are capable of loving and being loved. We learn how to receive the love of God so that we can love God. And we learn how to receive the love of others and we love them with the love of Christ that we also have received. We love others as we have been loved. And so, no, it doesn't mean you can kill and rape and murder and commit adultery and steal and all those things. No. Why? Because you're following Christ. And if you're following Christ and if you are loving God and you're loving others as you have been loved, you won't do those things. You can't do those things. It's impossible for you to say, I love my neighbor and steal something that belongs to them or commit adultery with their spouse or any of those things. But again, it's not about keeping those rules, right? It's sort of like you kind of accidentally keep those rules without ever thinking of it. You're you're oblivious to the fact that there is a rule at all because you're not focused on any kind of law. You are free. You are set free to love and to be loved. And that is freedom, right? Christ came to set us free, not to give us rules to follow, but to give us a God to love who loves us a God who is love and those who live in love live in God and God lives in them. And it's so much better, isn't it, to focus on that. And so these are the terms, right, of this new covenant that we're all living under. And it's beautiful. And so I hope that's helpful to you. I hope that rather than getting upset about the, oh, why aren't the Ten Commandments being posted in the in the courthouse or the post office or the, or the school or, or the, the park or whatever, or they took down the Ten Commandments that used to be in this place or that place. You know, as followers of Jesus, we shouldn't care about that. I mean, if we're going to demand something be posted, how about the Beatitudes, right? Because what? We're following Christ. And that's what we should care about. That's what should matter. And frankly, it doesn't really matter if we put those, the Beatitudes even, and hang them up somewhere in some public place. You know, what good does that do? What matters is if we live the Beatitudes, now we're talking. If we can become people who actually live the Beatitudes, if we become people who actually put into practice the things that Jesus modeled for us, taught to us, showed us, what it means to love God, what it means to love our neighbor as ourselves, what it means to abide in Christ. If our focus is that, that is so much better than putting a bunch of rules up and judging other people for how they do or don't keep these laws. We're not under those things. We're under this beautiful, beautiful mandate to just love and be loved. And that's wonderful. That's good news. That's the kind of thing that you'd want to share with somebody, I would think. And you want to just at least something that you would want to embody in your own life. I mean, I don't know about you, 
the more I talk about these things and study these things and realize these things, it's beautiful, it's encouraging, it's freeing to recognize that this is what we're called to do, to love the way God loves, to live the way Christ lived, to forgive the way he forgave, and to be people who really get to model this really beautiful, beautiful life of Christ as we abide in Christ and Christ abides in us. So I hope that's helpful to you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Second Cup with Keith. And if you do, do me a favor. Would you share it with somebody? Would you let someone know? Share it on your social media, email a, a link to a friend or something. And by the way, if you don't listen to Second Cup with Keith on the Ethos radio app, do me a favor, please. Go to your app store, whether you're on Apple or Android, go to your app store, search Ethos Radio and download that app. And when you do, you'll not only get access to this podcast, Second Cup with Keith, you'll also unlock my other podcast on Ethos Radio, which is called Threads. Threads is awesome. If you haven't listened to the Threads podcast, it comes out in the alternate days that this one does. So basically every month, every other week, I'm either having a new episode of Second Cup or a new episode of Threads. In Threads, those are more conversations with some friends of mine. I've had wonderful conversations with people like Paul Young and Brad Jerzak and Brian Zahn and December Rose and just so many amazing people. Go check that out. And you know what? Coming up are some even cooler conversations. Jennifer Knapp, Derek Webb, things like that. There's some great conversations. So download the Ethos Radio app. Then you'll have Second Cup with Keith and Threads right there on your phone. And you know what? You'll also have the Ethos Radio app itself. Ethos Radio is a radio station. It's a really cool radio station that plays positive pop music. It's not Christian music. It's just great music. It's a lot of fun. It's the kind of thing you could play in the car or, you know, with your family or in the kitchen or whatever around the house. Check that out. I think you really enjoy that. And there's also all kinds of other really great podcasts also available on the Ethos Radio Network. I do thank you all for listening. I appreciate all the feedback I've gotten. And again, if you're on the Ethos Radio app, there's an option for you to leave a voice memo. So you can actually leave a little voicemail message for me. Let me know what you think. Ask a question for future or suggest a future episode topic. That'd be great. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you again so much for listening to Second Cup with Keith. I've really enjoyed my time with you and I hope you have too. Look forward to talking to you again next time. God bless.